privilege to be back together with you. Um, just to um, maybe refresh your memory, uh, Boston is a very special place for me. I became a Christian at Boston College through the ministry of Campus Crusade, I don't know, 40 some years ago. Um, so I became a Christian in this town. Uh, I met my wife in Boston, and it's always just been a real special place for us. Uh, we have been serving with Mission to the World now for 12 years, and um, we're going to be Africans uh, this morning. Now, it's very impolite to talk about your work before you talk about your family. So we're going to start and tell you a little bit about our family, and then we'll talk more about our work. Is that better? Is that, is that better, David? Okay. So, the first off, we have uh, two adult daughters. Um, Stephanie, our older daughter, and Becky, who have come and visited us on the field, but they have never been on the field with us. They were on their own after college and on their own before we left for the field. Um, I'm going to go backwards here. Our younger daughter, Becky, is next to Tim in the picture. She um, And we're standing in her town, Seattle, um, where we were visiting her. Uh, she is a, a physical therapy assistant there in Seattle and has been there as long as we've been on the field, actually. And her older sister, Stephanie, next to her, um, is in San Diego. She is a job recruiter and just this past year has actually started her own um, recruiting firm. And after many, many years of prayer, um, God answered her prayer and brought a wonderful man, Peter Eastis, into her life. And just last July, not even quite a year, they were married in San Diego. So this is Stephanie's wedding. And, um, and they're, they're doing great. They are living out there. And um, we look forward to seeing them later. At Christmas time, this past Christmas, they delighted us by all three of them coming to Cape Town to have a Cape Town Christmas, which is, of course, summer. So that's our summer uh, month, hot. That's when lots of weddings are in Cape Town. So they came and enjoyed a Cape Town summer Christmas with us. And the very end of the time, they had requested, could we possibly do a safari? So we had a very short safari in the iconic um, Kruger National Park. So that's, that's our goofy you know, safari picture. But I, that's our family. And um, we're delighted to, uh, we're going to look forward to seeing them in July at the end of our, our trip. So if I stand here, am I blocking the screen? I'm good. Okay, good. So it's been, it's been five years since we were here, and a lot's happened in our lives and ministry, particularly in my role. Uh, but I want to just start by telling you kind of things that we have been involved in, and then later I will evolve to things that I am now focusing my time on in particular. Um, so historically, I have been teaching at the Bible Institute of South Africa. It's a, a traditional Bible college. Uh, the entry-level pastoral degree in the U.S. is the Master of Divinity. And um, in Africa, it's different. We typically don't have Master of Divinities. We have Bachelor of Theologies. 
And so you would go, if you have a degree in engineering, uh, you wouldn't go on to a Master of Divinity, you would go back down to the bachelor's level and start all up, uh, all up again in that new discipline. And so I have traditionally taught in the Bachelor of Theology program, and over the years I have taught Old Testament, New Testament, systematic theology, pastoral ministry, evangelism, missions, and some other things as well. So when you are a missionary, in Africa, um, my, my training had been in New Testament, I had a Master of Theology in New Testament. Uh, you learn quickly that you're gonna teach everything. And, and actually that's been a delight and I have really enjoyed doing that. Uh, I've also taught numerous classes at the certificate level, which is a level below the Bachelor of Theology. We have a lot of pastors who are in ministry that don't have training and so uh, you're, you're teaching them at a more basic level. Uh, just in terms of former students, let me tell you uh, about three of them. Uh, the gentleman on the left here is Mpunlele and his wife Tutu and their child Siwung. And this uh, student was just an absolute delight. Uh, upon graduation, he went on to plant a church, uh, a reformed church in Township uh, of South Africa. Um, and let me just take a moment and explain townships for, for those of you who are not familiar with uh, the South Africa system. So South Africa had apartheid. And under apartheid, the races were separated. So the, if you were white, you were at the top of the heap. You could have any job you wanted. You had free access to any schooling you wanted. And that was the white population, about 10% of the population. And then there was a mixed race population and they were about 10% as well. Uh, we actually call them colored and it's not a racial slur in South Africa, it's a category of people. And if you were colored, uh, you, had, you were one step down. So you had the second best housing. And instead of having access to uh, college education, you could go through grade 12. And if there were any, uh, any available slots in university, then you could apply and perhaps go to university. And then at the bottom of the heap were the, black, uh, the, the blacks. And they were 80, about 80% 80 of the population in South Africa. And generally, they were limited to an eighth grade education. Uh, they had the poorest housing. They lived in townships. And so we would probably equate that to slums although they were largely um, lots of housing and the township is a shack that's kind of put together with corrugated metal and sheeting. And um, for, uh, well, apartheid just ended 30 years ago. So it's still very much transitioning from that. But historically, my ministry has been split between teaching at the bachelor theology level and then also teaching pastors who have virtually no training in the townships. Um, and then Pulele is planting a church, a reformed church in the township. And now it's about five or six years old and it's really developing. So that's in Pulele. This is Lucky. Now Lucky was, um, as you can see, very happy guy. That, that smile has never changed. It's always on his face. He's going on to be a missionary with one of the solid, uh, reputable evangelical missions 
in Africa, and he's doing evangelism and church planting in Madagascar. And then finally, this is Sizwe and his wife, Setu. Sizwe was one of my students. He uh, went on to pastor in the township uh, and also recently has become a, a professor at the Bible College. And I had the privilege of uh, being assigned to mentor him as he began that transition. So those would be kind of the, the formal teaching element of our ministry that, um, that we've been involved in, in in the past. Another thing that you will get involved in as a missionary is you are regularly asked to speak at conferences and retreats. And so over the years, I have um, taught um, conferences on uh, the gospel, Mark, resilience in ministry. Um, prosperity gospel is a massive issue in Africa. And so I have taught in a prosperity gospel conference, an anti-prosperity gospel conference. Uh, I also spoke at a, a men's retreat in Malawi. Uh, we had an outdoor venue, and uh, this was my, my housing. Um, it, it actually wasn't too bad um, once I got the, the mosquito spray out. But, uh, so conferences and retreats, they're, they're a really important opportunity to have input, to influence people's doctrine and their beliefs and philosophy ministry, and have have done much of that uh, over the years. Probably one of the most encouraging thing for me, and I would say perhaps the most productive, is that I have had a pastor's reading group for about six years. Now, I have turned it over to a national. Um, but basically, the way it worked is that I, I had a, a group of six to 10 pastors. And I learned that classroom teaching just wasn't enough. You needed to have more regular, diligent, in-depth input in their lives. So I decided to do a reading group. And so I picked out the books, and I bought the books, and then I would give it to the pastor, and the deal was they had to read the book, and they had to come to a monthly book discussion in order to get the next book. And so over the years, Oh, we've done 50 or 60 books. This is part of the batch that's being done uh, this year. And um, this fellow, uh, Pastor Felix, and his wife and one of, one of their uh, sons, uh, he's been in the reading group from the beginning. And I have just delighted to watch how this Pentecostal pastor has become increasingly grounded. And then last year, he announced, I'm reformed. And... Uh, it just really has kind of transformed his life and ministry, and it's just been uh, a delight to watch that. Another aspect of ministry is Longa Life Bible Church. Now, the pastor Mpuleli, I showed his, your, your, him your uh, uh, picture just recently. Um, he's one of the church planters there. And so there are two former students who come together about five or six years ago to plant this church. And these are, these are young men. And what they did is they asked me and two, two other pastors 
if they would, if we would come and be part of a leadership council. And as a leadership council, they, they wanted us to be available to answer questions, to help them deal with doctrinal issues, pastoral ministry issues. Um, we also um, examined the church planter uh, and, their, and their ruling elders, um, put them through um, not a PCA-like um, ordination process, but one like the townships of South Africa have never done before. So we spent a couple days asking questions, probing and, and poking um, to approve that um, gentleman on the right. Uh, but that's just been a delight to be a part and to, you know, time to time, uh, get together with them, answer questions, and be, uh, be a mentor to young men as they go through that. And what happens when you hang around for a while, um, you, you get asked for input. And so there's all kinds of informal mentoring that's happening and uh, just a delight to meet with young men who are in pastoral ministry for the first time. Issues of how do I work, always issues of how do I work with people? How do we work through this issue? And then um, regularly doctrinal issues as well. So it's been, it's been a real delight. So I'll turn it over to Therese and she'll tell you about her ministry. Well, my ministry is primarily Tim's partner, helper in life and ministry, as I'm sure is no surprise. And as much as possible, I love to dovetail into the same ministries that Tim is doing, uh, which oftentimes happens. And then um, I'm in particularly trying to focus on the women, um, but oftentimes things connect together. Um, as um, when Tim is teaching at the Bible Institute, I usually attend his classes when I can. I can't all the time, but um, in chapel, and he uh, preaches in chapel as well. I love being taught by him, and I can always uh, use the repeat exposure if it's a, a second time in the course. But um, it's also my chance to have um, interaction time with the students to get to know that batch of students, which changes every three years because it's a three-year cycle. Um, and to focus on the women then during tea or lunch or something like that. And um, in every once in a while, Tim will ask me to do a, a little segment or help him in part of one of his courses. So in his um, evangelism and missions course, he has a segment on children, evangelism to children. And so he's asked me traditionally to do that, that segment, which is what I'm doing here, um, which is always a delight. Um, I'm also involved with... Um, a women's fellowship at the Bible Institute. So as a, even though Tim is a part-time lecturer there, faculty, I'm a faculty wife, and we plan a number of different events through the year. Usually it's a guest speaker that comes and um, for the, the women's fellowship to expose them to different avenues of ministry, Christian ministry. Um, some are former students at graduates. Many are missionaries that are on furlough or just in the area, all different kinds of ministries. Sometimes we're sharing either testimony or um, just from God's word. So it's always word-based. And um, it's just a wonderful time to, to build relationships. It's all about building relationships with people. And I've usually been the, the faculty wife that loves to kind of manage the special events which is one here. Last year, two of our students got married, and so we have very, very small, very kind of low-key um, 
um, bridal teas, they call them, like a, a bridal shower. And of course, all, this, all those who are participating are broke. I mean, they're, <laughs> they're starving students. So it's very low key in terms of the gifting, but it's high on the, the love, the fellowship, the care. And um, so this is just a picture of last year when um, two of our students got married. Every once in a while, we'll have the joy of welcoming a newborn. Um, so we'll have a baby shower as well. And I traditionally have been able to host the final um, gathering of the year. It's usually in October, the last women's fellowship meeting where we highlight um, the students who are graduating, hear about their time at the Bible Institute, what things were helpful for them, what their future holds, pray for them. And usually we come to my house and have a morning together, a brunch, and some kind of activity. This was um, kind of in COVID. We, we had masks on all morning, just took them off to eat and for the picture. But um, I learned how to make bagels during COVID. So we had a, a morning of, of fun making bagels together. So we usually do something like that together. And it's just a lot of, of fun and a great joy. Um, I'm Like Tim mentioned, there's many things that you get asked to do. So I, I'm occasionally asked to speak at a women's conference. August is Women's Month, um, and so that's usually a big month for different conferences. I'm in uh, one of our township settings, a larger township setting that we have um, national partners that are just dear friends. And um, I was asked to speak along with the pastor's wife at this Women's Day conference. Um, and it was just a, a wonderful time together. Um, also, now Tim mentioned um, these pastors um, who are planting churches in the township settings. Um, I have been with him in his evening classes out in the townships. I've been part of that scene of the conferences. Oftentimes, if he's been asked to speak at a conference and the church is putting that conference on, the women are doing the food, which is a really big deal in Africa, in South Africa. In a township setting, food is a big deal. <laughs> so I'm oftentimes asked to help with the preparation and serving of the food. So it's all time to get to know and have build relationship with women. So the women here in our living room, just again, this is during COVID, are all um, church planters wise from different, different townships around the Cape Town area that I have gotten to know over time in this network. Um, they're all lovely people, and most of them knew each other, but not totally. But they're never in one spot together. And they all were feeling the angst of many things that church planters' wives are going through. And it was a wonderful and unusual gathering. I asked them to come to watch a virtual conference that was um, I was told about by our um, PCA Women's Ministry um, Overseas or International um, coordinator Connie Miller and it was a virtual conference that was um, talking about womanhood and the true woman and mentoring and they were so excited to hear about this but what came out of it was a lot more than that they connected and they were really encouraged by hearing each other's prayer requests and realizing they were not the only one going through the things that they were feeling and in an African context um, this may not be so different but from here, but I think it's, it's up a notch. The pastor's wife is expected to do everything and to be everything. And for the most part, she's had no Bible background. She's had no training. And um, in her culture, um, you know, as Tim mentioned, I think he mentioned already, if the pastor's not available, his wife preaches. And oftentimes in many of the Pentecostal churches. And so 
there's this expectation that she's going to know everything and do everything, even though she may be a newlywed. And, and I know that oftentimes happens here in America, but they were discovering they were not the only one who really did not know how to answer those questions. And they were finding the fellowship there, and they realized as we talked and met that morning, they really need to go deeper in God's word for answers and to mature and to, to be thinking of leaving a legacy of building into other women and that, that whole Titus mandate. Um, so what came out of this, it was COVID. And of course, we all live in all different areas. And I don't drive into the townships because it's not safe for me to drive alone. And to find a time that we could all meet is, was virtually almost impossible. This is a miracle. Um, so what we had, But everyone does WhatsApp on their phones. They all have the, the texting um, app, WhatsApp. And so we, what came out of this is I suggested that maybe we do a Bible study together. Um, and so we did a WhatsApp Bible study together. One thing that I have discovered over and over again is that most of the um, black African women that I have met, in the, especially coming from townships, but not exclusively so, have been raised in churches, and they may have a, a, a real um, relationship with the Lord, but they really don't have much of a Bible background. And what they have is very... Um, disjointed in terms of they know this story and they know this story and they know this story but there really isn't an understanding that the old testament and the new testament fit together and that there's any connection between these stories they're just it's kind of a moralistic approach to life you know be like david be strong you know there's not a, a big picture overview of understanding the scripture as one big story of God's salvation story in their lives. And so I had suggested perhaps we look at a study like that. Um, some of you may be familiar with Courtney Doctor's From Garden to Glory Bible study, where she has each chapter is um, summarized in a teaching video where she does a good job of um, reviewing that that week's lesson. Well, they didn't have the books, and they weren't going to have the books. I had a book, but I, I was able to purchase the rights to share the videos. So we, we downloaded the videos and shared them on WhatsApp, and then I would include with that maybe six questions, maybe, for all of us to kind of interact with. And everyone would, over that month, three, four weeks, would respond to listening to the video as they had time, and then responding to the answers to questions and bringing them around to an application. And I was amazed. These women were really ready to do this and they were so excited and they shared more uh, personal answers than I ever expected because traditionally black Africans do not share a lot of personal things. And they, over and over I was hearing, we have never read the Bible like this. We have never seen this perspective before. This is like, you know, life changing. So that was a real encouragement. Um, and then out of that, later, I had, um, it was also at the end of COVID, um, I had been involved with a, a craft group um, at a local township close to us for a number of years. And my part of it was primarily teaching from the word, a, um, a short segment of scripture, or devotional, as well as helping with the, um, the craft things. But um, at this point where we couldn't actually do manipulatives and meet so closely and do crafting things, but we could have a teaching time, took the same idea of the big overview of scripture and the, the un, um, God's you know, um, revealing the promise through the scriptures. 
and did it in a, a visual form. This audience was not as, um, did not have the Bible background as the, the pastor's wives. They did not have the English skills as much as the other opportunity, the other group. Um, this was a multinational um, group that was used to hearing, getting instruction in English, but not as comfortable reading English or asking questions, particularly in English. So, um, so this was, so we took the same lesson, or a similar, and created 12 different panels of visual teaching panels. We were used to doing creative things together and seeing things and putting things together. So as I told the story, I just told the story and put the story together on these panels by, I think, kindergarten level, <laughs> little visuals. And that was a very, seemed to be an effective um, approach to teaching that big overview of scripture to this particular group. Um, just to give you an idea of different things I've done. Um, more recently, I've been involved with, um, and Tim will explain his role changing, um, we've been involved with Presbyterian Church um, plants that are happening in the, town sh uh, in the Cape Town area and in Southern Africa, and interacting with those um, leaders' wives, pastors' wives, church planters' wives, in various different ways. And this is um, just a gathering I had at our house with some of our team members and some of those ladies. And going f uh, futuristically, I see more time being spent with that group, um, the Presbyterians that are coming up and growing, as well as the, the connection between that and women's ministries in um, Southern Africa. Here I'm part of a conference that was held in Zimbabwe last year. Um, the speaker in the, the front is the international coordinator with um, the women's ministry, PCA women's ministry, Connie Miller. But we have national partners who were in Zimbabwe that I was working closely with to help bring this conference together in um, Bulawayo, Zimbabwe. It was the first time these women had ever ever been in one spot together. And it was the launching, it's beginning, a, a, a focus on developing women's ministries through that presbytery. And what does that look like in an African context? How is it different? Um, and so I'm part of that new kind of focus. So I think that's it for now. Hand it over to you. Thank you. Thank you. So four years ago, I became the regional director for Southern Africa for MTW. And I just want to start by telling you a little bit about Southern Africa, and then I'll tell you more about my role. So Southern Africa has 11 countries and an aggregate population of about 200,000 people. Um, here's a map. So across the top, we have Angola. Zambia, Malawi, Mozambique, and then we have this large island out in the Indian Ocean, Madagascar. We go down to the south, we have South Africa, which is the largest country uh, in Southern Africa. About 30% of the population are in uh, South Africa. And then there's this little country, Lesotho, which is totally surrounded by South Africa. And then in the middle here, we have Namibia, Botswana, uh, Zimbabwe and Eswatini uh, used to be Swaziland. So that's kind of the lay of the land in southern Africa. 
there's about 15 cities with populations of uh, a million or more. Uh, projected population growth in Africa in the next 30 years, 40% of the planet will live in Africa. We have um, the average age in Africa is 19 compared to about 45 in Europe. And so we just have this young population that we have explosive growth and that's just gonna continue. Uh, where we live in Cape Town, the current population is 4.7 million and that's projected to grow by a million in the next 10 years. And this is generally true of the cities in, in Africa and Southern Africa. There's just gonna get bigger and, and more of them. Uh, we have 40 unreached people groups in Southern Africa, uh, mostly very small and mostly Muslim. Uh, in Southern Africa, um, Islam has not made great inroads yet. Uh, they're trying to, um, but uh, they haven't quite uh, made that progress at, at this point, thankfully. Um, Africa, Southern Africa is very Pentecostal in theology and approach to ministry. Just give you a quick story. Last uh, month I was in Zimbabwe and I was te uh, talking with a national partner who's in campus ministry and his um, primary evangelistic method is that he tries to do one-on-one -on -one Bible readings with, with students. So basically introducing them to Christ by reading through the Gospel of Mark. So he'll invite them to do a one-on-one -on -one Bible reading with them. And so they'll meet, and then they actually understand, oh, this is reading the Bible. Oh, I'm not interested in that. Because in their culture, meeting one-on-one -on -one is something you do with a prophet. And you pay the prophet, and the prophet blesses you, he gives you oil, and he makes promises for prosperity for your future. And, and that's all over Africa. Um, let me tell you about my new responsibilities. So I'm uh, now the um, Southern Africa Regional Director, so I'm in the process of phasing out of some of my uh, former responsibilities, and my two main new responsibilities right now is supervising and shepherding a team of missionaries. And so we have seven, we have seven units uh, across three countries, um, Malawi, Zimbabwe, and South Africa. And uh, they're doing various things like church planting, campus ministry, theological education, uh, children's ministry. And then the other primary responsibility um, is that I formed a group called SARM, Southern Africa Reform Mission. And we began in um, 2020. And SARM is a, an unincorporated board functioning under the authority and supervision of missions of the world. It's composed of a mix of MTW missionaries like myself, PCA missions pastors and lay people, and then Africans, uh, our national partners. And we have uh, national partners in South Africa, in Zimbabwe, and Malawi. And our primary goal is to assist our national partners with the planting of reformed Presbyterian churches in Southern Africa. So that's what we're doing. And here is our board. Uh, we had our first face-to-face -face meeting um, this time last year in Zimbabwe. 
it's winter um, this time of year, and uh, this is first face-to-face -face meeting uh, coming out of, out of COVID. Um, let me tell you about our focus, what we're doing. And church planting is indeed the focus. And people ask, why are you church planting in Africa? Aren't there lots of churches already in Africa? Well, the answer is yeah, there, there are, there are lots. And there are lots of very weak churches. There are lots of churches that really don't have the gospel. Uh, there's lots of churches that are in the extreme of Pentecostalism where um, pastors don't prepare sermons. They just, they just stand up and the, the, the sense is that the spirit leads in the immediacy. So if you were to study your Bible and you were to prepare a sermon, you're, you're squelching the, the spirit. So you can imagine what those churches look like. Um, so yes, we are committed to church planting. And uh, something that kind of really helped me understand the need was city to city Africa. They have a, a, a rudimentary, rudimentary matrix they use in trying to help you understand whether you need to keep planting churches in an area. And so their, their matrix is 10% of the population should be incorporated into gospel churches of 100 people. So I have taken that formula and I applied it to just two, two areas in Southern Africa. One, Blantyre, Malawi, second largest city in Malawi, uh, a million people. And then one of the townships of Cape Town, Kailicha, which actually has 1.2 million people in it. And I applied that formula. And so the ideal number of churches that you would have in Blantyre is 1,000. And the ideal number of churches in Kailicha is 1,200. Uh, 1, so I went to two very trusted national partners and I said, how many gospel churches do you have in your area? And how many gospel churches do you estimate in your area? By gospel church, I mean a church where the gospel is preached and someone could attend there and become a Christian through its ministry. Further, the Bible is sufficiently preached and taught such that an attendee could grow spiritually over time by virtue of being involved in that church. Hence, I wouldn't limit this to Reformed churches, but would include broadly evangelical, and we could also uh, include churches on the sounder end of Pentecostalism. How many do you have in your area? And so this was the answer. Blantyre, 20. Kailicha, 15. And so you see, according to the ideal, we have a, def we have a massive deficit. And so what I did is like, okay, well, let's just take a tenth of that. You know, let, let's, let's do a tenth of that. And so we're still looking at a massive deficit of churches. And um, what happens is that when you're in a growing area, that deficit gets larger every year. So for instance, in Blantyre, population is projected to grow 3% a year. That means you need 30 new churches each year just to keep up. And we are, we are woefully behind. And this, is, this isn't talking about um, reformed Presbyterian churches. You know, we are a very, very tiny minority. This is, this is gospel churches where people could hear the gospel, become a Christian, and grow. Um, so there is a massive need there 
Um, and you would find something very similar to this uh, across the continent. So what MTW is doing is that we're not there to plant churches. We're there to work with national partners so that they can plant churches. So some of the things that we've been involved in is financial resources. So we're helping uh, financially three church plants. Uh, we've helped get off the ground a church planting residency program. We're arranging short-term internships where PCA churches are hosting uh, some of these young, new, uh, reformed Presbyterian pastors who really have no idea what it means to be a reformed Presbyterian. Um, they've come out of a church background where there is a headman who's the pastor, and he runs the church with his wife as the co-pastor. There's no sense of of governance with elders or deacons, it's a headman. And lo and behold, they become exposed to reformed faith and they show up in our churches and that's where they are. And so we need to help develop them in doing intern, short-term internships for a month or two, exposing them to how a session works, what a presbytery is. So that's some of the things we're doing. And um, lots of informal mentoring and encouragement. So um, church planting, but uh, church plants and church planters, they don't just fall out of the sky. God uses means, they have to be developed. And so we're committed to two ministries that help fuel church planting. One would be campus ministry. And um, several years ago um, at our, our PCA church in Richmond, we had an RUF campus minister who came and gave a presentation. And he shared a statistic, which I can't remember anymore, but it was the number of teaching elders and ruling elders in the PCA who had come out of RUF. And, and I was shocked, but I suddenly got it. This is the leadership development for our denomination. And so that's what we want to do in Southern Africa. We, we are looking to plant campus ministries that come in underneath and behind church plants and start to develop future leaders for our, our denomination. So in the next two to three years, we hope to plant churches in three areas that have a large university presence. And so we see campus ministry as something that we're looking to invest in. Uh, another thing we're looking to invest in is church leadership development and theological education. Uh, John Maxwell said, everything rises and falls on leadership. And healthy trained leadership who develop a vision for multiple, multiplication, they're the ones who are going to plant churches. And so we're looking to help facilitate this. Some of the things we're doing is um, maintaining contact with our national partners, helping round out their theology, um, giving them tools to train and develop elders and deacons and women leaders in their church and just lots of formal and informal training. Uh, we're doing targeted theological education. Uh, lots of uh, men who come out of our Bible colleges, they, they really haven't been exposed to um, covenant theology, uh, certainly not Presbyterian polity and ecclesiology. So we're working with them on, on helping round them out. 
and then a strategy for theological education. How are we, in the coming decades, going to create um, a pipeline where we're training men who can be ordained? So working with that uh, very actively. Um, so we plant churches. These churches are fueled by campus ministry, church leadership development, theological education. So what do you do next? You have churches that are planted. Well, you need presbyteries. So we're in the life cycle of these churches where this is really important. Now, you know, we, we take this for granted in the PCA. I mean, we've been around 50 years, right? Um, but a lot of these men, they're coming out of Pentecostalism. They've never experienced um, anything like a plurality of elders in parity, um, kind of a, this collegial leadership model um, in, in the structures of our court. Uh, and we take that for granted. I mean, we have, we have scores of healthy churches. We have thousands of, of teaching elders and ruling elders who have decades of experience. We have scores of healthy presbyteries that have functioning committees. We even have a book of church order. But these churches have none of that. They have no history with Presbyterian. They don't have book of church order. They don't have trained elders and, and, and deacons and women's leaders. So that's what we're giving ourselves to is, is trying to develop that. Um, some things that we have done uh, we're doing these short-term internships with PCA churches where we'll send um, uh, a pastor over for a month or two and they'll get exposed to how a, a healthy session functions, how a presbytery functions, how do, how do men in ministry relate to one another. Uh, we're working with them on creating BCOs, Book of Church Order. Uh, we actually had a Book of Church Order retreat where we had um, several men, elders, um, teaching ruling elders come together for three days, and you know, we're working on a book of church order. Uh, we recently had a Southern Africa Reform Presbyterian Leadership Conference, and we covered such topics as the biblical basis for church government, uh, regulative principle of worship, biblical discipline in the church, biblical basis for covenantal baptism. These are foundational things about how a church functions. And these are things that need to be in place if you're gonna plant healthy churches. And this is where, this is where we are in Southern Africa. Um, so you plant churches, those churches get fueled by campus ministry, church leadership development. And then when you have churches that are planted, you need to develop presbyteries and also missions. And Lloyd Kim, who is our um, coordinator of Mission to the World, he came to Cape Town three years ago on a vision trip. And one of the things we did with him is uh, we took him to a township and we had a panel discussion with township pastors. And um, you know, I asked them questions, they answered. And then Lloyd asked a question from the floor. He says, what are you guys doing with missions? And this was the answer. We're not doing anything. Uh, we, we're just used to Western missionaries doing that. Now, now that's not 
universally held, but that's a real common response. And so we want to try to help transition our national partners from receivers of missionaries to also senders of missionaries as well. A and this really isn't optional. It's going to become a necessity. Most people recognize that Christianity is declining in the West. The Pew Research Report in 2015 said every, for every individual who affiliates with Christianity in the US, four leave. The Pine Taps Foundation in 2018 said for the next 30 years, Christian affiliation in the US will decline by one million per year. So where is the future missionary force going to come from? It, it's got to be Africa. I mean, four out of 10 people on the, on the planet are going to be in Africa in the next 30 years. So we are committed to trying to prepare our national partners to be thinking in this direction. Now, they're, they're such a small group, um, it's hard for them to think we need to be working with them. In fact, we've actually hired a missionary who's on my team, and his job is to be a missions catalyst. So basically, his responsibility is to work with African churches and presbyteries to broaden their vision for missions, to uh, possible outcomes of this vision would be casting vision, uh, in, including the formation of local church and presbytery missions committees, programs and conferences, and other structures conducive to the raising the profile of world missions in our network of churches. And ultimately, we would like to help form an African Reform Presbyterian Sending Agency and uh, begin the groundwork for that. Um, so that's the vision. Planting churches, two things that fuel church planting, two things that result from church planting. And um, we have a strategic, um, a strategic plan. And we're two years into it. And basically, it involves monetary investment and ministry investment. So we're looking to um, invest in a minimum of 10 to 15 additional church plants church planting projects. Uh, we're two years into this. We've done six, so we have a ways to go still. And then potentially support initiatives which have direct input on church planting um, and presbytery development, church planting internships, campus ministry initiatives, uh, church leadership development, theological education. Uh, we're looking at a potential investment of three to 600,000. And then finally, um, ministry investment. Um, it's, it's more than money. It's supporting, promoting, assisting, and developing training and other such activities. Um, PCA, teaching elders, coming to Africa with targeted training. Uh, we're doing that um, next month. We have um, uh, a PCA um, pastor who is also a homiletics professor who's coming, and he's going to do a preaching workshop and continue mentoring the men after the workshop uh, as well. Uh, we have uh, PCA teaching elders serving as mentors. So I'm actively recruiting uh, teaching elders to mentor our young uh, church planters uh, and to uh, meet with them regularly through Zoom. And then uh, African pastors interning in PCA churches um, for a short period. So it's... Um, that's our vision. 
And that's what um, I'm spending lots of my time these days is trying to develop this and execute this and um, broaden where are we going. Um, I think we have a few minutes for questions. Well, I mean, there's different, <laughs> we're not far enough into it just yet. So in, there's different ways of doing this. So in Zimbabwe, basically they took the blue book, right? They took the blue book, which is our, our BCO, and they, they edited it. You know, they just kind of made certain changes to it, but not much, basically just adopted. South Africa is more, more independent-minded. So basically, they said, let's start from scratch. <laughs> and so they're, they're using um, uh, the PCA's BCO, the IPC, the International um, Presbyterian Church in the, in the UK, OPC, and just trying to build it from the ground up. So it, that, that was our three-day retreat, was to, to start. And we think we got, well, um, we, we didn't get very far. But somebody has been assigned uh, to do it. Um, but yeah, it's really, um, it's really interesting. Part of being a Presbyterian is you're a compromiser. Now that sounds bad, but you know, if, if you wanna be a church of one, you, know, you, you, you have your convictions, right? My doctrinal philosophy and ministry convictions, and that's it, and that works fine. But if you're gonna be Presbyterian, you've gotta work, you've gotta work issues out with others, and you gotta, what, what are the high points for you? What, what, what is a non-negotiable? And then you negotiate these things. And it's interesting in South Africa because we do have uh, a number of men who have theological training. Uh, they've come here, they've lived through PCA issues. And so, you know, those have come, they come on the table pretty quickly. Um, you know, women de deacons, um, um, how um, are we three offices? two offices, two and a half offices. So it's been interesting just being part of those discussions. Very much uh, watching sausage being made. <laughs> but you know, we take all this for granted. You know, we're 50 years old. These guys, they're just starting. And it doesn't take very long before you find out, we actually need a book of church order. We can't plant churches. We can't plan healthy churches unless we have these structures. And so I have had a new appreciation for, for these issues because you, you see a place where they don't have it and kind of the struggles. You know, you're, everything that comes up, you know, you start from scratch like you, you don't have anything you're working with. And so uh, these are critical, critical matters tied to church planting and health of the church. Yes, very open, um, very cordial. Um, but um, I see in the U.S., um, getting the conversation started is difficult. Um, it's not difficult in Africa, but getting beyond the superficial into you know the the 
the, the gospel, um, where somebody is going to be more than just nodding their head and being polite. It's equally difficult there as it is here. Church, how, do people know much about church history? Yeah. No. Um, so, you know, Pentecostalism as we know it basically was um, uh, a 20th cent 19th century phenomena. Um, and that, that's a really new thought when people come to understand that. Uh, there's generally not a very, um, not any knowledge of church history. In our reading group, we have read church history books, and it was, it's been great watching the response to that. Like, wow, yeah, this, this, this happened then? Um, you know, they've heard about the Reformation, but they didn't really know what that meant or what the issues were. Um, so, yeah. Okay, so we do, we, we're, we're, we're located, there's not a, uh, one of these church plants is not close to us. There's one getting off the ground that we'll be a part of. So we have been attending a Reformed Anglican church. In fact, historically, Mission to the World missionaries have gone there. And, um, you know, it's the closest thing to the PCA. They're um, um, Reformed-ish in their doctrine. Um, they, um, they hold to the inerrancy of scripture. Um, we're on the same page with bap in baptism, which is kind of a, you know, there are not many people uh, in that regard. Um, and then there's the liberal Anglicans that, um, you know, would be social gospel. That's the biggest group. Um, it's kind of like Presbyterianism here, PCUSA, um, although the numbers are shrinking. Now they're much larger in terms of the number of churches. Um, and the, the PCA would be smaller. Similar profile if in Anglicanism. Well, if I could just leave you with some prayer requests for us. Um, spiritual vitality for, for us and our family. Um, that we'd stay fresh, we stay grounded, uh, we stay encouraged uh, spiritually. This SARM ministry that, um, that I've talked about, um, just for its further development, uh, we're three years in. We have a long ways to go. There's a lot to do, um, but especially for the expansion of church planting. And then wisdom and skill in orienting and mentoring new missionaries. Uh, we've had three new missionary families um, in the last year, and um, uh, much, much time uh, Therese and I spend in that process of orienting and mentoring. And then visas have become a real issue for uh, our missionaries. Um, everyone on our team, virtually, has a, has a visa issue. Um, so it's becoming more and more challenging um, 
to navigate that, and um, hence, more and more important to invest in nationals uh, as well. So those are things that you can pray for us. Um, thank you for, you've been very patient as we <laughs> um, kind of shared what's on our hearts and uh, things that we're giving ourselves to. And thank you for letting us process this in front of you um, for your involvement with us uh, over these years. And uh, just a delight to be back with you. Thank you so much.